Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters throughout multimedia and popular culture from their beginnings to their current incarnations and everything in between. Films, books, other media, nothing is out of consideration for what we do. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. And I'm Leonard. And we'll be taking a look at the Legativerse, as we've been doing for the past several months. Yes. Um, and, 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 and I would, I would like to just add an addendum and, and, uh, and put a, a pin in it. Um, we will not be exploring fan fiction. Fan fiction is, is I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sure there is some good monster related fan fiction out there. I'm sure there are, but they're beyond our scope and maybe beyond some of our tertiary interest um, in, yes. this, in this particular field. Uh, not all fan fiction is um, illicit, but a large chunk of it is, so we will just hop, skip, and jump a little bit right past that. <laughs> because we'll find enough in our own our own travels, I think. Yes. But uh, yes, we are continuing on. Um, through Songs of a Dead Dreamer and Grim Scribe, fully into the Grim Scribe territory at last. It took a little yes. while, but we've made it. And it is glorious. It, it's, it's so dense. There's so much in every frame. It's like, it's like a melody. It rhymes. <laughs> yes. So... We will be taking a look at the, f the the first segment of Grimscribe is The Voice of the Damned, and the first tale, The Last Feast of the Harlequin. But, but before that, there's an introduction to Grimscribe, and uh, I, will, I will read this. His name is... Will it ever come to me? There is a grand lapse of memory that may be the only thing to save us from ultimate horror... Perhaps they know the truth who preach the passing of one life into another, vowing that between a certain death and a certain birth, there is an interval in which an old name is forgotten before a new one is learned. And to remember the name of a former life is to begin the backward slide into that great blackness in which all names have their source, becoming incarnate in a succession of bodies like numberless verses of an infinite scripture. To find that you have had so many names is to lose claim to any one of them. To gain the memory of so many lives is to lose them all. So, he keeps his names secret, his many names. He hides each one from all the others so that they will not become lost among themselves, protecting his life from all his lives, from the memory of so many lives. He hides behind the mask of anonymity and small cats. But even if I cannot know his name, I have always known his voice. We hear it now from the darkness. That is the one thing he can never disguise. <laughs> even if it sounds like many different voices or, or cats. I know his voice, but I hear it speak. Because it is always speaking of terrible secrets. It speaks of the most grotesque mysteries and encounters, sometimes with despair, sometimes with delight, and sometimes with a spirit not possible to define. 
What crime or curse has kept him turning upon this same wheel of terror, spinning out his tales which always tell of the strangeness and horror of things? When will he make an end to his telling? He has told us so many things, and he will tell us more, yet he will never tell his name. Not before the very end of his old life, and not after the beginning of each new one. Not until time itself has erased every name and taken away every life. But until then, everyone needs a name. Everyone must be called something. So what can we say is the name of everyone? Our name is Grimscribe. This is our voice. And our cat. The voice of the damned. <laughs> she was she was very proud of the dead leaf that she brought in to show me. It was it was an excellent interlude for the voice that has no name. Yes, that is our <laughs> slightly less um, <laughs> um, dour uh, introduction <laughs> to uh, Grimscribe, the voice of everyone and of all cats, the cats of Ulthar. Oh man, she won't, she won't, she won't shut up. I love her. I love her. It's but fine. <laughs> and I'll utterly forget to like edit that out, so it's just going to be in there. Everyone yep. enjoy the voice of everyone. Yep. That was co- that. That was uh, the musical stylings of Coco Calico. You will uh, all be able to see her soon on film, where she repeatedly throws herself to the ground and is adorable. Such sights we all we all savor and need. <laughs> all so, right. <laughs> yes. All these Where? all these japes uh they they recall they recall to one of the last feasts of Harlequin. Because or as I like <laughs> or as I like to call it, uh Grimscribe the uh, fantabulous last feast of the Harlequin. Uh. There's, yes, there's some feasting going on downtown. Yes. Yep. Hey, just so, just so everyone's aware, this, this, uh, this is a, a, a clown story. So um, if you have problems with clowns, we're here to let you know there's a lot of them. There are a lot of clowns. There are many clowns that happen. And they're okay. Spooky. What is what is the last feast of the Harlequin about? I say as if I haven't also read the story. It is about a student of anthropology who also is a student of clowns. He loves clowns. Yep. And he found a place by happenstance that has a festival. A festival with jesters and harlequins and a manner of tomfoolery. And he wants to check it out. Because yes. he, he, he writes... Um, 
well, my my scholarly brain has misplaced the words for the thing that you do. It's not a manuscript. Um, it's like Articles? a it's it's not an article. It's like a journal, but it's a it's something you would you could do in place of a scholarly journal because it's it's just your own work. Yes, it's uh, that thing that the name doesn't matter for what our names. <laughs> yes, and I believe it. Uh, the last thing that he wrote was <clears throat> quote. The Clown Figure in American Media, uh, which was published in the Journal of Popular Culture. Yes. Yes. Uh, so that's his, his to-do. Uh, yes. He is, he's found this little, this quaint, I don't even know if it's quaint. It's actually a terrifying place. The little town in um, middle America of uh, Mirokar. Yes. Um, wow, what a, a, a sinister and unpleasant name just from the jump. Yeah, they they just kind of get you. They get you with that. He's he's not starting off easy. Oh, um, and uh, if you if you notice, listener, that we're referring to the narrator as he and him, uh, that's because he doesn't get a name. This is in classic Lovecraft fashion a nameless narrator re- recounting uh, a, a horrific event. And what's, what's good about that. And this, this is actually, he serves to be a run, an unreliable narrator. He has, um, information regarding the goings on of his experience that he does not share with the writer until like later he's revealing his clown trickery um, (laughs) at a, at a later time. And it's, it's very pertinent information and it's really weird that he phrases everything in the way he does Uh, sort of, he's couching everything in academia, but yes, um, it's a. Uh, it doesn't. It feels like a disservice to the not the story itself. The story is like well written. Um, the the narrator doing his job in making this an academic article. Uh, these things need to be like in the preface of it, right. And they're not. And so you're kind of blindsided by weird things, um, which work in the form of the novel or the, 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 the short story. But if you were reading this as an account of something, it's, uh, it's disingenuous, I think. Mm-hmm. It also feels like the, the, <clears throat> the academia, uh, the spin that the narrator puts on this is, um, in service of protecting uh, his own and the reader's sanity, not to mention the fact that uh, it, it it seems so unbelievable that um, I I wonder what any journal <laughs> would 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 publish this as as a true account of things that happened. Then again, this is taking place in the Legati verse, so it 
is not out of out of the realm of possibility that this is just a common thing. Yeah, I was going to say be, because of how he frames um, his associates, I think that this kind of thing are not that they're common occurrences, but in in academia you would see like more of them. Yes, because a lot of people just run into bad thing, and <laughs> and don't always. I mean, the the bad end for most people isn't always death, right? It's usually worse because they survived and now they're laden with this knowledge and irreparably irreparably changed in one in one way or the other. Um, Yes. So, and also, he seems like a terrible anthropologist. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. Oh, his his anthropology uh, is 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 in service only to his clownery. It feels like, yeah, like his clown obsession. He's like, yeah, I get I, anthropology. That way, I can study how clowns have influenced the thing. Yeah, I mean, and he he doesn't hide that. No, I will just read a little bit of it. Um, this is this is of course from his it's uh from him narrating everything uh, aside from my teaching i had for some years been engaged in various anthropological projects with the primary ambition of articulating the significance of the clown figure in diverse cultural context that's just what he does yep um so in these studies i was an eager participant he's talking about um the things we're studying clowns uh, along with playing my part as an anthropologist. I also took a place behind the clownish mask myself. So he goes native as, as he mentions yes, um, a little bit later. And, um, and I cherished this role as I did nothing else in my life. To me, the title of clown has always carried connotations of a noble sort. I was an adroit jester, strangely enough, and had always taken pride in the skills I worked so diligently to develop. Um, the, the being of a clown to him is more important than like anything else. That's, that's his primary motivation. Yes. The the anthropology studies, that's just a way to facilitate his, his, it's not even a hobby. It's just his way of life. Like he uses that as a means to an end. So uh, yeah, he can be not great at what he does, um, as far as like, the the academic rigor, I think, mm-hmm. on his part is a little off. Yes. Um, but it's for a specific purpose, so you can kind of forgive that because he's using it as a, as a tool or a means to an end rather than, like, he's not an academic who likes clowns. He He's a lover of clowns who also is an academic. Exactly. Like, it's the other way around. So, yeah, yeah if, you, if you think about it that way, it, it makes it a little bit more... St- more palatable with, with <laughs> what he's kind of doing. <laughs> I like to imagine that, that if, if this was set in modern day, that he would uh, have written an article on, on juggalos. Probably. And he would have had to have been one for a little while. Yes. And then he would have been extolling the virtues of uh, Fago. And all of and this. the dark and yeah. and the dark carnival, 
that's as far as my knowledge of Juggalos extends. So I well, I have also very limited <laughs> limited knowledge of Juggalos yes. as well, well. We'll have to cease the analogies there. Um, yeah, that that's that is the long and short of this tale. He finds a town with a festival and then does the um, Wicker Man. Recommending, yeah. he inserts himself into the festival. Um, he he brings along his um his his Harlequin clown attire with the uh the the hopes of par- partaking in the festivities um, and and reveling in his clown nature um uh, to to hopefully blend in and or astonish the the locals with his uh, his consummate professionalism and his the the, the time honed uh, skills he has, he has accrued. Yes, because clearly um, they must want master clownery um, if they have a festival devoted to clowns. So he will um, he, he's going to wow these these country bumpkins with his 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 clown performance and also do some research. I'm sure. Yes. Because he is writing, he is taking notes and doing everything as, as yes. is, um, proper. Uh, and he's trying to do research. So in that way, he's doing his job, job. Um, and also get to be a clown for a little while. Mm-hmm. I, I like that uh, as he, uh, in, in classic horror fashion, the town is incredibly difficult to locate. Um, because if it was easy to get to, more people would know about what was going on in it. So yes. it's always it's always great where it's like, and I got lost, and then I needed to double back. But then I just somehow found it when I cleared like a bluff of hills, and there it was. Like, oh man, this is. If any time, any time I'm, I'm in a car and we get lost that much trying to get somewhere, and then just kind of stumble across our location, I'm just like, mm, don't know. Feel real bad about this entire situation places should be easy to get to. Mm, yeah, and there this was I believe 7 miles off of the highway. Uh it yeah. was a la- it was a last minute decision on his part to even go there. He had recalled it in his mind from some pamphlet he had been one- he had once been given uh mm-hmm. and he had like to make he was heading somewhere else and had to make a lack of, uh, a choice like I see the exit for this and it sh- came up real quick so I had to just either take the exit or keep going. And uh, he's like, well, it's seven miles off the road. It should That shouldn't take too long. And, of course, it's all a twisty-turny, crazy, looping um, country back roads to get there. Uh, and then when he gets to the town, it's um, the architecture is off, too. Yep. And every everything, I think he is, um, I didn't quote it, I have no idea where it's at, but I do distinctly recall that he likens it to a flat, um, 2D, like the photograph, where mm-hmm. depth, your, the depth is off on things, and, and stuff that should be relegated to background and should be smaller appear to be the same uh, or mm-hmm. larger than the foreground um, 
buildings. And so it lends everything a um, sort of a disorienting um, it's a disorienting sense of space. And right. the town itself is kind of in deterioration in parts. There's like a sort of slum sector. Um, mm-hmm. But also um, everything is uh, – well, this is the first visit. I don't think everything is decked out in crazy green. Eventually the town is yeah. decked out in crazy green because he comes back um, on, the, on the, the date. He, this is just a um, – a foray, uh, investigative foray into the town. He, he's looking to find the town hall and get some information um, on, on proper research to figure out information on the festival because he, he just had a pamphlet saying there is some kind of festival here that do a thing. And right. he wanted more info on that before he he needs to know when it, when it happens and all the, all the little details that uh, would allow him to attend said festival. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because uh, the uh, the interior topography of the town is incredibly hilly, um, so a lot of of the uh, weirdness with the architecture, as as you mentioned, is yeah, that building's on a hill, but it looks the same size as this building that I'm kind of like four yards away from, which would mean that this building is actually gigantic. Um, so yeah, I can understand how that could be disconcerting. And uh, doesn't he encounter an old man that he tries to get some information out of on this, this first foray? Yes, the, the first visit, he spots a, um, an, an, a gentleman kind of trudging along the road Um who, who regards him briefly, but has a sort of, I guess, a melancholy mm-hmm. um, and a weird gait uh, and is just sort of ignores him and, and wanders off. Um, yeah. But the entire encounter strikes him afterwards as being a little bit stranger than he was initially perceiving because he finds a sense of familiarity um, to this, this old derelict but doesn't elaborate on that familiarity until later. Right. Mm, yes, he, he does find the town hall mm-hmm. and speaks with the, I don't know if he gave her position. She's just uh, someone that works at the town hall um, and mm-hmm. is willing to help him like only so far. Uh, and, and provide some information with the festival, but it's like in a begrudging way where they're viewing him as like an idiot for not knowing when the festival was occurring. Yeah. Even though he's clearly not from the town. I, I love that the uh, the flyer uh, just says, please come. Yeah, he, please he come. Does, he does take, yeah, he takes the time to like feel that that entreaty is sort of a charity like a, a fundraising <laughs> um, event. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're not. They're, there's no other um, sort of uh, promotion of it. Like if they're needing, mm-hmm. if they're needing that kind of thing, it's not coming from outside. It's coming from within the town. Yeah, exactly. Which everyone knows about the festival anyway. So the flyer itself is kind of like a moot point. Yeah. Which is which, also why it doesn't have any actual information on it. Yeah, exactly. It just says, please come to the fun. 
which is is for a nondescript flyer uh is is um unbelievably sinister on its face anything that that just says go come, come 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 here and have a good time with no no descriptive or contextual information is in, in innately sinister to me hmm yeah, it's just it's just listing like events like parades, street masquerade, bands, the winter raffle, and the coronation of the winter queen. Yep. And of course, when he asks when it takes place, because the flyer does not say, um, he's informed that most people already know that, and then the flyer is rudely snatched away and <laughs> s- and scrawled upon to to give him a date of December nineteenth through the twenty first. Yes. Written in blue-green ink. Yes. A point of which will will matter, um, not in the least wit, but uh, was taken time to let us know it was blue-green ink. Yes. The sinister, most sinister of colors. Teal is, in fact, an incredibly sinister color. I think it can be, yes. Particularly if a room is painted that way. Yep. Uh, and then he's just told that it's basically it's tradition those dates, um, and uh, there's no there's no more information um, forthcoming uh, aside from him asking very pointedly, does this have anything to do with clowns? And then he's informed, yes, of course there are people in costumes. Uh, there's <laughs> clowns of a sort. <laughs> yeah. I, no, no, thank you. That's when, see, that's when I leave these stories. When people start saying vague nonsense like that, yeah, they're kind of clowns. Yeah, they're only. They're, I mean, they maybe they're evil. We don't know. <laughs> I can, like... can I can I just make one quick aside? I I know that uh, that Nick. Cage just uh, starred in an adaptation of uh, um, The Color Out of Space. I yes. really want Nick Cage to play this unnamed narrator who's obsessed with clowns. I want Nick Cage in full clown makeup. Yeah, I would be there for that. He that that's all. That's kind of why not not that in particular, but um, the Wicker Manning feel of this. Yep. Um, does lend itself to Mr. Cage. <laughs> as he so he so adroitly gave us the wonderful Not the Bees. Yes. Not the clowns. <laughs> Except for he's like, bring on the clowns. Yep. I, I can't, I can't, oh, I can't do a, a Cage impression, but that's what you get. You gotta bring on the clowns. I'll put on some grease paint. Nope, that's not. Nope, don't know what that is. Nope, <laughs> that was closer tried. than mine. It was, it was, but it was. It, I lost it real fast. <laughs> it went in a different direction. It went in a vastly different direction. Well, there um, you go, folks. We do interject yeah. some comedy into the um, otherwise very serious, very depressing Lagarde verse. Yes, um, he goes to the library, does some research into the Miroka Courier newspaper, um, mm-hmm. 
finding, unfortunately, that the microfilm copies or the fiche copies are terrible and do not have an organization that that lends itself to finding information on this festival. He just mm-hmm. can't be bothered to pour through umpteen years of uh, papers without having no way to like actually like search for specific things. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's always really fascinating in stories like this where the, the author presents um, that uh, a level of wrongness in that kind of context where it seems like the, the town is so isolated from the rest of the world that they don't even bother to adhere to like general um, rules and regulations, like organizing microfiche in a way that makes it easier, easier to, to sort through or everybody knows when the, when the Harlequin festival is, I can't believe I'm expected to, to tell you, when it is because the people who want to come already know it's always that that little bit of wrongness that i i thoroughly enjoy because it's it's so minute but in context with everything else makes sense at the end yes and it's um it's insular it's an insular community uh, mm-hmm. Not only in its geographical location, because it's it's anathema to, like, find. Um, right. But the people aren't encouraging anybody to come visit. Mm-hmm. So the festival is only for Miro Collins. Yes. Mostly. It's it's a very um, Imboka or um, the Innsmouth... Like, it's that feeling without being, like, backwoods. Yeah. Which makes it worse, because this is, like, apple pie kind of country. Yep. It's, 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 it's good old America. Yep. So we'll, we'll find out. Um, well, I, I, this is nice. There's actually Miro Cavian. <laughs> that word is being used as in the descriptor, the Mirokavian event. So <laughs> that's good. Uh, this it, it it refers to the festival as the Fool's Feast. Yes. Um, in one in one thing. So this is uh, it's an article that he does find, um, or no, it's a it's a letter from a former colleague who sent him the first thing about the. Um, Miroka, and uh, it it a it's something because this is a Middle Eastern community um, origin of origin um, originally, and it details uh, papers that were published in Amsterdam, and one of them mm-hmm. is the titular last feast of Harlequin, the preliminary notes on a local festival. Uh, and more importantly, to the to the narrator, the author of that particular article is one Dr. Raymond Thoss, who is in yes. fact um, an old instructor, an old professor of our our, our dear narrator. So yes. that that piques his interest, I think, more than anything else. And then we get we get this wonderful. Um, 
it's a uh, a reminiscing of of his. Um, he's just basically letting the the, the readers understand his relationship with Doctor Doss, uh, and something of um, a, t- a time to like impress us with uh, the mm, the allure, the mm-hmm. like mystique of this of this one professor. Uh, and also the uh, nature of the the narrator himself. He's this is where his studies, are, or where I think he may have been not the most stellar student, um, <laughs> or potentially something of a jerk. Uh, here is this bit. I'll just read it. Um, On one occasion, I summoned up the audacity to offer an interpretation which was somewhat opposed to his own, talking about Don Dr. Thos, regarding the tribal clowns of the Hopi Indians, I implied that personal experience as an amateur clown and special devotion to this study provided me with an insight possibly more valuable than his own. It was then, he disclosed casually and very dicta that he actually acted in the role of one of these masked tribal fools and had celebrated with them the dance of the Kachinas. In revealing these facts, however, he somehow managed not to add to the humiliation I had already inflicted upon myself, and for this I was grateful to him. So, yeah, I mean, like, even phrasing something like, uh, yeah, I'm an amateur clown. Um, and I've done some clown stuff, so that uh, obviously outweighs any of your years of study, Professor. <laughs> and yes, you're just like okay, he, I don't, he, he, I don't think that that's the a, case. <laughs> you did yeah. a little bit of hobby, and this guy—that's what he does. That's his like he, job. He did the IRL uh, well, actually, and then yeah. got slapped down for it immediately. <laughs> yes. And also, and so, also, some of this is um, his, of course, this is years back. There's yes, some time, but yeah, sometimes um, past, but um, go ahead. Also, the idea of of anybody doing a, a a real life, well, actually about clowning is is incredibly funny to me. <laughs> it it's funny. Um, but he takes it so seriously that it's not uh, it's humorous in like thought but even imagining the scene doesn't seem like it would actually be funny right yeah it yes, they take it so very seriously so you don't you don't ever doubt that this guy's like he loves clowns yep true um, in, clown in, believer in, yes in an academic way too though so he yes. loves to st- it's the whole all of it the origin the what clowns mean um all the he the 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 short story takes the time to like deliver that to us Mm -hmm. and he goes into some detail on specific um uh proto clown culture um their roles in society uh the roles of a fool of a court jester all these kind of things um are are considered so his love of clowns isn't like you can't go, it's, oh, he just loves, like, Bozo the Clown. You know, some kind of, like, pop culture clown thing. He actually loves what a clown is um, as it serves its role in society. Exactly. And he takes time to, like, explain that. So 
by sharing his love of clowns in that way, you can gain a sort of clown appreciation. Yes. <laughs> Until the story ends and then you're like, maybe I don't like clowns after all. Yeah. Nope. That, that appreciation was misplaced, good sir. But yes, we get a um, we get a a, a sort of um, background on uh, not not only clowns, but on specific festivals, on the difference between um, this particular festival, uh, the difference between how West uh, Westerns, how Americans in particular um, celebrate Christmas, um, and it's its current incarnation versus the um the original Saturnalia uh mm-hmm. the, the pagan festivals versus the later um amalgam that it kind of became it doesn't dig into the commercialization of it because that's a whole other ball of wax but um we do we do get some information on the the gnostics and their um their role in kind of changing how these festivals kind of came to be. Uh, there is a, this, this bit is good. So this is, this is a, um, a bit uh, on the Saturnalia, but what it's, what it, how it's shifted, um, through the Syrian Gnostics and their, their weird, um, heretical beliefs, that uh, mankind was created by angels who were in turn created by the supreme unknown. The angels, however, did not possess the power to make their creation an erect being, and for a time it crawled upon the earth like a worm. Eventually, the creator remedied this grotesque state of affairs. Uh, at a time, I suppose, the symbolic correspondences of mankind's origins and ultimate condition of being associated with worms, combined with a year-end festival, recognizing the winter death of the earth, was the gist of this Thossian insight. Um, and this is all regarding the, um, the, the, the last feast of the Harlequin, a, a poetic but scientifically valueless observation. <laughs> And then he's just saying that, uh, so, so he's come across this paper and it's not impressing him really. Uh, it, it's devoid of uh, a lot of academic value. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't have the, um, it has the, 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 I guess the flavor of, uh, Thos. Like it has mm-hmm. some, of, some of his wit and the things that he, um, can provide with his, his sort of esoteric knowledge. But um, it's uh, it's sort of empty. It doesn't yes. have the details that um, the narrator is craving. So he feels mm-hmm. that it's doing a sort of disservice to, or I guess he's surprised that it's um, so brief and not. Um, there's no enlightenment to be found within this this thing, other than it's made him more curious, and he just needs to go see the festival for himself to be filled in on the details. Right, but he's also concerned that the the article is hinting at um, the the fact that the doctor uh, had um, had obviously done field work. Um, he mm-hmm. wasn't he wasn't observing this from afar, but had done work directly in in con or in concern of the festival. There's hints within the article that the doctor knows more than he's like willing or um 
intent on conveying uh, to the, the general academia, like outside of outside of personal like knowledge, right? So that that of course is driving the narrator to to to, to be more curious about this, um, and he uh, he he wants to. Um, make good on, on his opportunity to observe the festival. But here is where the narrator kind of tips a bit of his hand. Mm-hmm. So um, he's like, ju- just as uh, Thos um, is, is keeping a bit of a secret um, that would indicate he knows more than he's letting on. Uh, I too um, have a little bit of a, 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 a bit of knowledge. Uh, he, um, Again, I'll just read it because it's easier. Uh, a note to the Holoquin article appraised the reader that the piece was only a fragment in a rude form of a more wide-ranging work in preparation. That work was never published. Um, his uh, professor... Um, no, I'm just summarizing. His professor had uh, not published anything since um, withdrawing from Academia 20 years ago. Yes. Uh, and now the narrator says, I suspect I know where he's gone. For the man I had stopped in the streets in Miraca, and from whom I had tried to obtain directions, the man with the disconcertingly lethargic gaze had very much resembled a superannuated version of Dr. Raymond Thoss. So our derelict on the road um, could potentially be uh, Dr. Thoss, just still hanging out in the village 20 years later. Yep. Dun-dun-dun. Surprise. Yep. The mysteries deepen. And then he kind of just goes on. Uh, here, I guess, is where it... The story delves into... Um, I don't know. A downward spiral? Um, <laughs> the narrator himself is calling, calling out that... Uh, SADS, so it's, um, seasonal affective disorder. Sids. Yes. Yeah, SADS, not SIDS. Sorry. Yeah, SADS. <laughs> SADS. Um, is the thing. So, uh, that being the case, and he is a particular, um, he's, he's prone to suffering it. Um, mm-hmm. so he's aware of that malaise and aware that the, the changing in seasons just kind of does him in and, and, gives him over to like morose and potentially dangerous thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wondering if this festival is a way to combat that. Um, the townspeople are aware that that's a thing. Um, as the, as the, the nights grow longer and the days colder, uh, this is maybe a way to cope with that. Um, before the, uh, winter solstice yes because of the dates that this falls on and it's it's just prior to the general practice of christmas time uh so this extra like festival um doesn't uh clash with with the other um christmas values because this is it serves a different purpose um it's it's Mm -hmm. something potentially to um brighten and buoy the spirits of the locals um, and, and kind of get them in a uh, suitably social mood. Right. 
And uh, this is all tied together because he finds in the um, microfilm a article uh, or multiple articles on holiday suicides um, in Mirokaw. So mm-hmm. uh, they're not annual, but they are often enough to warrant um, even local um, articles on people going missing or dead during um, this time of year. Like specifically yes. this, this week, or the, the, the the days of the festival, mm-hmm. and they're discovered afterwards. So he's um, suitably intrigued by that, and then trying to conflate the the possibilities of those suicides linking to um, uh, sad. Yes. Uh, he also spends a great amount of time uh, practicing clowning. Um, by uh, uh, perfecting his uh, new feat of juggling magic, as he calls it, which uh, which was my special for- forte in foolering. Uh, he had his costume cleaned, which I find delightful, purchased fresh makeup, and was ready to go. I like I like this man's commitment to to his his clown arts. Yes. My one question of his of his clownery is for local festivals and this is this is just me um hearkening back to to growing up in Europe and seeing a lot of these kind of Christmas time festivals, a lot of these parades which did have um fools and uh and chicanery and the costumes are very, very localized. They're very specific to mm-hmm. the, the, the towns and the region, and they change from town to town. Like, each right. place has their own wardrobe of accepted um, cl- cl- clown costuming. Yes. If he brought in some clown costuming, and he's a... That's like... You can go to the the um, the Hopi um, Kachina dance and the Hopi festival, yes. but you cannot be decked out in like other clown regalia there. Like it's not going to work. So whatever he's bringing in, like he would have to be like explicitly aware that he would stick out, like utterly. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like whatever the local, he doesn't even know what the local clown attire is. Yeah, um, but, but oh, he'll find out. Noticed, he will find out. <laughs> yes, and I just noticed that it. He didn't say costume. He actually said costume. So he's bringing a variety <laughs> yes. of clown costumes. Not that it'll matter because, as you mentioned, it's regional and very specific, but I do like the idea of him carrying around a bunch of clown costumes that he might just, like, look out a window at at the town, at the festivities, and, like, mm, this is close, close enough. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that allows him, and this, of course, this does, in fact, allow him to kind of patchwork a clown costume together, which works. Yes. So, in the end, he he is well enough prepared to 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 be able to consider that, but um, it's still suspect, like that that would have yes. worked out. 
he really loves clowns, Dave. He really loves clownery. Yeah, we don't know how many. He could have brought all of them. I want a big steamer trunk full of clown yes. costumes. I, I'll imagine that. Well, let's imagine <laughs> that. Yes. A big leather one with straps, and then it opens up, and it has, like, folding out bits, and there's, like, yep. little shelves in it. See, because once again, I'm picturing this all be all being acted out by Nicolas Cage and the idea of Nicolas Cage opening a giant steamer trunk full of clown costumes is my everything right now. Yeah, I can I, I can pick I wish I could do a better like impression because I, I the dialogue is in my head now. <laughs> it's just like, well, let's see here. I have to watch that because it turns into Keanu Reeves instead of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it does turn into Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, I could be a clown. No, nope, yeah. that's Keanu. I know. I know that, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen, so I just there, there, went with yeah. it. I, yeah, I could only hold the cage for a moment. He is, he is a golden god that cannot be. He is, he is the fire of Prometheus that cannot be held by man. He cannot. <laughs> But yes, so that brings us to the the days because he arrives, I think, on the day preceding the festival. It gives him time to kind of scope the town out. Um, right. He mingles with a bit of the locals, uh, finds out that most of the people are kind of weirdly morose. Um, but yep. the, the youth, the the youth of the town, are still uh, a bit rowdier um, and less inclined to like ignore him utterly and they'll talk to him a little bit. Everyone else is kind of just not having it. Mm -hmm. They're they're wary of outsiders without saying it. It's just a feeling, I think. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that also goes to his, his uh, assumption that the festival might be related to seasonal affective disorder because everybody's kind of glum and it's, it's that time of year, so that's probably why they they do this clown thing every year. Make people, brighten them up. Except for the youth. The youth are just fine, apparently. Yep, they are They are doing all right. Uh, the the garishness of the festival is, in, is evidence everywhere. The windows of stores and houses were framed in green lights, green streamers hung down from storefront awnings, and the beacons of the Red Rooster Bar were peacock green floodlights. I like that he interjects, Ace, I suppose the residents of Mirakar desired these decorations, but the effect was one of excess. An eerie emerald haze permeated the town, and faces looked slightly reptilian. <laughs> oh. Spooky. Yep. Yeah. Cl- hey, hey, you know, uh, you want to know a color that makes people feel really uncomfortable, especially if it's used as lighting? It's green. Green is a bad color to make people feel at ease or happy in general. Yeah. That's why you don't see it used in lighting in films and theater a lot, unless they're going for a very specific otherworldly effect. Yes, or to make you actually uncomfortable. Yep. <laughs> it does the opposite. Let's do everything in green floodlighting. 
he he does recall an um an aspect of the Harlequin article uh that likens Miracaw's festival to a fertility ritual cult and possible connections to a catonic divinity sometime in the past. But he also puts in, but Thos had mistaken, as I had, what was only part of the festival's significance for the whole. So the little bits that they're taking uh, as this is the meaning of the festival were just a drop in this spooky bucket of what's going down in Miracar Town. Right. I think I'm, I'm, I like that. I will, we will use that as the, as a title. <laughs> and trust Dave to spell town with T-A-W-N. <laughs> but yes. Um, he does find there's a little bit of interlude with um, the Beatles, not the musical <laughs> band, but the, the um, innkeepers of the, 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 the I think this says the only um, inn or hotel in Miracaw. Yeah. He's, he's suspicious. Uh, he's expected it to be full of um, people visiting and to come to the celebrations. And it feels like he's actually the only person there. Yes. That's not from the town. So that's not a red flag at all. Nope. That, 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 that event in, 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 uh, strange fiction literature always pans out well. Uh, there has never been an incident where that has been a bad thing for the narrator of the story. I cannot think of any time, uh, that that has ended poorly for our, our protagonist. Yeah. So we get we get the Beatles. This is um Sarah and Samuel Beatle. Uh Sarah who's a spitting image of her mother because Elizabeth Beatle is one of the suicide um victims that he uh, saw in the the, the microfilm pictures yes. from 20 years previous. So it it does strike a chord with him. Uh, and he he tries to use this occasion to get information about the festival from uh, Sam Beetle, uh, but that's less than forthcoming, as is everyone else in the town. So he just mm-hmm. has to kind of go out and find it out on his own. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, Sa- Sarah does, I think, um, talk to him. Yes, she talks to him a little bit because she has an argument with her father and then um, gives him a little bit of information, but it's it's not um, particularly useful. Yes. And, you know, once again, that kind of that kind of attests to the 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 vigor of youth, like oh, I will tell I'll just give the stranger uh, uh, some some information uh, from our highly insular town where nobody that nobody comes to and nobody stays at. Hence the reason why he is the only lodger in this motel hotel at the moment. 
Uh, she does say that uh, the only clown there's clowns in the festival, but the only ones are ones that are picked out. I suppose you would say. Yes. And she 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 declines to elaborate on that, so it, it's throwing him for a little bit of a loop. He goes. He spends time going through his suitcases of clown um, accoutrements. And I do like that he he takes the so. I was giving him a little bit of uh, guff earlier, but he he pretty much knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> so here's the but sometimes a cheerless gesture was required to draw attention to the same disorder, as in the case of King Lear's morbid and honest fool, who was of course uh, eventually hanged. And so much for his clownish wisdom. Clowns have often had ambiguous and sometimes contradictory roles to play. Thus, I knew enough not to brazenly, brashly jump into costume and cry out, Here I am again! So he's not an idiot. Um, <laughs> he just loves clowns. So we'll, yep. we'll separate those two things. <laughs> Here I am again. No, still can't. No, nope, still, still can't. No. No, because there needs to be more manic energy. In, yeah. in in that particular uh, cajoning of this, that's the cajoning. He's just like, here I am again. But that's watch yep. out. That's that's Jim Carrey. Yep, yep. This is difficult. That's why we're doing this and not actually being actors. Cut, cut to next week and Cameron. Uh, cut to next recording and Cameron does a perfect. Yeah, he just nails gauge, it. Shaming all of us forever. Yeah. Or Matt shows up randomly and is just spot on Nicholas Caging and we don't even realize <laughs> it. Or or you, dear listener, send us your best Nicholas Cage impersonations. Yes. We'll do something with them. I promise. But yes, our narrator is is primed and ready to go to explore the Harlequin Festival uh, in, in appropriate attire, even though he was told that that they pick out the clowns themselves. Yeah, well, he's not he's not doing his clown thing just yet. No, uh, right. he he has a very specific goal, and that is to track down one presumed uh, Doctor Thos. Yes. So he zips about the town, um, trying to track down one, uh, well, technically no, he, he's just going to get information, and then because he spots who he thinks is Dr. Thos, he changes his plan to actually try to go speak with Dr. Thos and, and get a better lowdown on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he finds that proposition actually very difficult to do. Uh, Dr. Thos is keeping ahead of him despite the advanced age. Uh, he finds that this out is, he finds that this is actually due to the, the streets are crowded with people and he's fighting against the crowd where Dr. Thos is able to kind of, the crowd sort of kind of clears a little bit for him. It's giving him a little bit of leeway. Uh, which yes. is allowing um, their distance to be uh, um, heightened. So he's, he's always several steps behind um, Dr. Thos, who eventually disappears into a diner. Mm-hmm. In the slum part of the town. Yes. Uh, 
then he, he kind of waxes on about the Winter Queen a bit because he's trying to figure out what uh, the, the general um, symbology of Winter Queen is a, as a figure of fertility invested with symbolic powers of revival and prosperity. Um, yes. And elected in the manner of a high school prom queen. <laughs> so he's a little bit concerned with that because that's an aspect of the festival that he just needs to know for academic reasons. Right. Let's see. Now he he does go out to um, the festival is in full swing when he when he gets up the next day and decides to go out um, and and just revel with the revelers um, and get some more information. He finds out that the the clowns here are the only ones that are picked out. Uh, discovers that to be picked on um, to be closer to the truth because he does find um, some clowns and they are a clown in particular and one who is being sort of um, uh, jeered at and kind of roughhoused with a bit but none of the it's not a I can't say that it's a good natured violence but they're not to the point of hurting physically the clown they're just kind of jostling them and, and heckling the clown it yes. seems to be the role of the clown in in this um in this festival but and uh, i believe the uh the the uh clown has um a a uh particularly uh disturbing face well uh, this is the not disturbing one this is just oh, the these are the, the regular kind of clown regular clown um he, regular he, clown is a weird statement <laughs> yes but it it's all in perspective yes. um he talks to the young the young gentlemen that were heckling the clown and uh, he's because he's seeing multiple people addressed as clowns at this point, and uh, this is the response from the, the the youths. Them, they're freaks. It's their turn this year. Everyone takes their turn. Next year might be mine or yours. Uh, and the, the person he's indicating one of the other friends, the locals. Uh, and when we find out which one you are, but uh, uh, the narrator takes time to to go to to take it make an important point of this uh that the clowns are um they are or they're try to remain anonymous so that what that does is allow for some of the um rougher treatment um by the the locals to the clowns because they're they're couched in anonymity for um that very reason the the people would be less willing to heckle someone that they knew versus like an anonymous, um, clown. Mm -hmm. And the, none of the, uh, rowdiness is, um, endangering anyone's health from what he can tell. And that's usually the younger generation doing this anyway. The, the older folk in the town are kind of indifferent and don't really bother the clowns much right uh however this is where we find the less regular clown and the more sort of unnerving wrong-faced clown 
Yes. Uh, that our our narrator takes the makes makes this the moment that he's like, well, I'll just kind of join in on the heckling, and I'll heckle this guy. Um, and I think he physically bumps the clown, and the reaction he gets from the observers, like the other people in the festival, is the opposite of what he was expecting. They like. They're not admonishing him, but they're definitely not happy that he did that. And yes. So he committed a faux pas um, of the festival by by accosting or even acknowledging um, these less savory clowns. Because these guys are a little bit weird, a little spooky, more trud- trudging, and their faces are off like it's a weird their mouths are drawn in kind of a rictus of an o and they have a just yep. a despondent sad clown look to them uh they uh they are are they don't uh it isn't stated explicitly but uh they resemble uh the face from the scream painting yes he does, he does call that into com- comparison all the entire time while not remembering what the name of the painting, which was, I thought, funny. Right. <laughs> he eventually oh, and, they're, and they're also dressed like uh, Tramp-style clowns. Uh, tramp is uh, being an old, uh, archaic term for um, um, a homeless person. Yes. Um, it's, it's less... Um, well, I guess it's synonymous, synonymous with, like, hobo. Yes. But yes, that would be the, the clowns that have the little um, little hat and just yep. disheveled clothings and, like, a usually a, a sad grin on their face. Mm-hmm. One, of the, grin, one of the... Just a sad smile. Sad, sad, one of sad their face. shoes is usually separated from uh, the, the, the soul... So yep. they have that weird floppy. Yep. Yeah, and they, and they, clown. they may or may not have a bindle. Yes. So there's there's the other extent of our clown knowledge. Yes, we are we are we have limited knowledge on clowns and and I'm okay with that. Until now, now our knowledge is our eyes have been opened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Grantus noses. Honk, honk. Mm, that's the killer clowns from outer space. That's different. I know about them. <laughs> Everyone knows about Everyone of our generation should be very well aware of killer clowns from outer space. Yes, and have a mild fear of popcorn and cotton candy now. Yes. And clowns. But yes, he accosts the awkward clown and is uh, understanding of uh, a taboo of the festival. They are there are certain clowns that should not be disturbed and avoided, and they are more residents of the slum than uh, in the rest of the town. But they kind of use the festival as a way to kind of migrate around right. through, the, through the town. And there, so they are a. Um, initially, he believes this to be like a subset of the festival. Like he, he realizes there's actually two festivals going on. There's the festivals with the Mirokawan 
general clowns, and then there's these sort of slum clowns that do their own thing, and people just let them be. Yes. Uh, and he also comes to the conclusion that it's he may have had that backwards, and the actual festival is the one being held by the slum clowns, and the rest of it is a mimicry uh, of that uh, that can be safely used to... Uh, I guess it's a way for the Mirokawans to deal with feelings they may have toward those clowns. It's it's very vague when it kind of yes about that. Yeah, it, I I yeah I read it as this is so the the uh, the the slum clown uh, event is 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 the actual festival and, and to, as you said, deal with it. Uh, the Mayor Cowans have uh, transformed it into something more palatable. Once again, this kind of goes back to uh, the uh, Christmas and its pagan origins uh, uh, example yes. from earlier, where because... it is transformed <laughs> into something far more palatable for, for mass, yes, for mass for mass consumption or or um, commodification, and that's that is yes. the case here. Um, there right. is pagan thing that do happen, and the <laughs> town deals with that on a psychological level by holding this actual rowdier fun festival. Right. Yes. Uh, he talks about the subclimate and the holiday suicide. There's a segment of him just like doing journal entry, which is really good actually. But we, I think we've covered what is in there without going to the whole thing. Um, I did, I did make a note. Uh, so I will read the last entry in the journal of that section. Uh, as I wobbled right. from street to street tonight, watching those oval mouthed clowns, I could not help feeling that all the merrymaking in Miracle was somehow allowed only by their sufferance. This I hope is no more than a fanciful Thossian institution. The sort of idea that is curious and thought provoking without ever seeming to gain the benefit of confirmation. I know my mind is not entirely lucid, but I feel it may be possible to penetrate Miracaw's many complexities and illuminate the hidden side of the festival season. In particular, I must look for the significance of the other festival. Is it also some kind of fertility celebration? From what I have seen, the tenor of this celebrating subgroup is one of anti-fertility, if anything. How have they managed to keep dying out completely over the years? How do they maintain their numbers? but I was too tired to formulate any more of my sodden speculations. He had been having a few drinks falling into yes. my bed. I soon became lost in dreams of street and faces. So his suppositions um, will not be far um, off the mark. And here is his, uh, here's his transformation. I spent the rest of the day devising a very special costume and the appropriate face to go with it. I easily shabbied up my overcoat with a torn pocket or two and a complete set of stains. Combined with blue jeans and a pair of rather scuffed-up shoes, I had a passable costume for a derelict. The face, however, was more difficult, for I had to experiment from memory, conjuring a mental image of the shrieking Piero in that painting. The scream, I now recall, helped me quite a bit. At night... At nightfall, I exited the hotel by the back stairway, and on a personal note, while I know the name of Scream and I'm familiar with the painting, I did not, 
I don't think at any point in time would I have classified that as a clown. <laughs> no. <laughs> so now I now I have to like go back and look at that and figure out <laughs> why that that's being done. Because maybe, maybe that is the context for it. I, I don't. I haven't looked at the actual like reasoning behind the painting. But um, mm-hmm. well, now we have reason to. Uh, it was strange to walk down the crowded streets in this gruesome disguise. Uh, although I thought I would feel conspicuous, the actual experience was very close, I imagine, to one of complete invisibility. No one looked at me as I strolled by, or as they strolled by, or as we strolled by one another. I was a phantom, perhaps the ghost of festivals past, or those yet to come. Yep. Oh, uh, we should, uh, mention, uh, the, uh, note that he found scrawled on his mirror that morning. In, yes, in paint, in grease paint. Um, yes. And the note was, uh, what buries itself before it is dead? The riddle of sorts. And it's unnerving to him because he thought his hotel room was actually secure and it is not. Yep. But yeah, nobody likes the nobody likes the scream face. Nobody nobody likes the ghost face killer clown no. costume. No. How surprising. Yes. So he he makes his way around the town and finds out that there is a truck uh rolling around the slum area and stopping every so often to pick up the kind of derelict clowns who just shamble into the back of the truck of their mm-hmm. own accord. Um, he wonders if his disguise is good enough uh, to, to to allow him passage. It turns out it is. He realizes that um, there's a little bit of a... Some of the clowns in the truck are from the regular festival. and some of, and yes. the, But the majority of them are the weird, derelict, spooky ones. Um, mm-hmm. He mingles easily enough with with all of them. However, the truck leaves the um, confines of the town proper, goes to the outskirts out into the fields. Um, it's getting very much colder. He feels he's almost betrayed himself by shivering because the clowns to the left and right of him uh, are radiating cold rather than heat. And no one else seems to be complaining that it's cold out there or talking right. much at all. Some of them are whispering to each other, but those are the, the regular faced clowns kind of mumbling. Um, yep. And the truck finally stops. It stops in the middle of a field uh, next to a gaping hole in the ground. And one by one, the, the clowns are bid to depart from the truck and to enter in groups of five, I believe, um, into the, to the hole with each fifth clown um, picking up a lantern. <laughs> and yes, wandering into what what he finds out is a series of tunnels. Once again, when when the, when this when the, when this event is revealed from the pile, this is when I I get up from the table and leave the game. No, I am not following the as you've described horrifically spooky looking clowns into a hole 
in the ground in the middle of nowhere. That is ridiculous. I don't care what kind of article you're writing for for a journal. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's I think textbook one oh one uh don't do the thing. Yep. But curiosity and uh horror stories and all that. Yes. In this particular vein. Uh, for for one, because this is a Lovecraftian tribute in the first place, um, yes. and a and a Poe, we should yeah, we should yeah. also state that because the um, the narrator took the time to uh, name check uh, conquer a worm, uh, yes, on purpose. We find out. Mm-hmm. Yes, so he goes to the chamber or, or through the tunnels. They find um, a large chamber. It's even more spooky than he ever imagined. The clowns form a crowd around a, a series of altars, and a, a figure is presiding over this uh, this whole affair. The only figure there whose face is not greased with makeup. Um, well, I'll read it. He wore a long snowy robe that was the same color as the wispy hair be-rimming his head. His arms were calmly at his sides. He made no movement. The man I once believed would penetrate great secrets stood before us with the same professional bearing that had impressed me so many years ago, yet now I felt nothing but dread at the thought of what revelations lay pocketed within the abysmal folds of his magisterial attire. Had I really come here to challenge such a formidable figure? The name by which I knew him seemed insufficient to designate one of his stature. And here's where the story does something weird. (laughs) Rather, I should name him by his other incarnations, God of all wisdom, scribe of all sacred books, father of all magicians, thrice great and more. Rather, I should call him Thoth. Okay, buddy. Yep. Okay. So, you know the entire time that your old old archaeology, anthropology professor was an elder god. And you just, like, kept that in your pocket. All right. I could, like, I could sit by everything until it did this thing. And I was like, I can't even, <laughs> like, this is a step too far. Um, this not, not, feels- not that Thoth is there. Like, that was fine. But that the uh, the narrator knew that was that the case. The, the, this feels like like something that was added after the experience. Um, like this, that whole God of all wisdom, scribe of all sacred books. Like that is the, feels like the, the revelation has dawned on the narrator and he sees fit to just insert it here. Uh, maybe, but he doesn't talk about anything else where he would have like found that out. Right. Yeah, that's it's, the it's, problem. It's an incidental thing that he's just like new and was declining to share with everyone. Right. <laughs> it's I, I I can't. There's nothing to equate it. I can't pull up the thing that's like, yeah, here's the last act secret, and he's like, whoa, but you knew this the whole time. So that being the case, 
why are you chasing this man down? <laughs> like, why? I know you love clowns, but this is a step too far. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's there's a bunch of uh, uh, big ceremony going, crazy singing, high pitched singing that he can't um, imitate, but he's forced to like mouth sing so he doesn't give himself <laughs> away. Um, he's just well. They were singing to the unborn in paradise, to the pure unlived lives. They sang a dirge for existence, for all its vital forms and seasons. Their ideal was a melancholy half-existence consecrated to all the many shapes of death and disillusion. A sea of thin, bloodless faces trembled and screamed their antipathy to being itself, and the robed guiding figure at the heart of all this, elevated over the course of twenty years to the status of high priest, was the man from whom I had taken so many of my own life life's principles. It would be useless to describe what I felt at that moment, and a waste of time I need to describe. I needed to describe the events which followed. Hmm. Well, this sentiment of these, <laughs> this cult is, is the, another distillation of uh, Thomas Ligotti. Like, you don't get more Ligotti than what just happened. Yep. Antipathy to being itself. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now we find out what's on the altars. Uh, then with all the flourish of his former life, uh, Thoth drew back the topmost covering. Beneath it was a limp-limbed limp -limbed effigy, a collapsed puppet sprawled upon the slab. I had to pull that selection. Of course. It was my duty. And they uncover the second um, altar. And who is it but the Winter Queen? Yes. And that is also the um, the innkeeper's daughter. The young yes. Miss Beetle is now the new uh, Winter Queen. Oh, and the congregation does uh, get a, a title, which is the Pure Ones. Which, once again... Very sinister, very Lovecraft. Yes, and they expand their ranks, and we find out that um, the expansion of their ranks is done through the you know, the youth of the town. Yes, the ones that are handpicked each year um, to masquerade as clowns um, become unto the pure one ranks eventually. Yes. So there's kind of a little bit of the lottery in here, too. Yeah. Uh, we don't know why they become them or what their purpose is. Um, but uh, they're the, the singing and the chanting all come to a culmination. And one by one, the pure ones transform. Yep. And this part is really good because uh, it's, again, we're just going to read it. This was a good show, I thought, and giggled to myself. The transformation scene of Harlequin throwing off his fool's facade. Oh, God, Harlequin, 
Do not move like that. Harlequin, where are your arms? And your legs have melted together and begun squirming upon the floor. What horrible mouthing umbilicus is that where your face should be? And what is it that buries itself before it is dead? The almighty serpent of wisdom. The conqueror worm. And this is happening with ever-increasing frequency, louder and more frantically, the clowns become, begin their metamorphosis, writhing toward the altar, thus yep. wel welcoming them as they curl and squirm their way to the altar top. Shades of uh, Dark Souls 3. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and then we get this uh, I now knew what lax figure lay upon the altar top this was Cora and Persephone the daughter of Ceres and the Winter Queen the child abducted into the underworld of death except this child had no supernatural mother to save her no living mother at all because her mother had committed suicide uh, for the sacrifice I witnessed was an echo of one that had occurred 20 years before. And we say suicide, but this is just the mother being sacrificed. Um, right. the, the carnival feast of the preceding generation. And this is my favorite bit. Oh, carnival. So the meat, meat feast. Uh, yes. Now both mother and daughter had become victims of this subterranean sabbat. I finally realized this truth when the figure stirred upon the altar, lifted its head of icy beauty, and screamed at the sight of mute mouths closing around her. And to do the one sensible thing he's ever done, he bolts. He just yep. hightails it out of there. Probably could have done that sooner, but um, he needed the info. And also, um, he he's fleeing because he could feel the transformation. Um coming upon his clown be clown itself and yes. was not going to be um wormatized he's not having it so he he left yeah area of effect transformation is real bad in in all sorts of fictionalized uh settings uh, that's probably due to the uh, generational shared trauma of the uh, Pinocchio donkey sequence. Um, I was going to reach for Willow. <laughs> Two very good pulls. Yep, because you're all pigs. <laughs> I hated that part too. Yep. Yep. But, uh, yes, so he's... He's fleeing, and he's been given chase. However, uh, the the pursuers call off. There or are are called off by the voice of one Doctor Thos, yes, who delivers a an order, and one one order that reaches the the, the narrator's ears. Um, but he keeps that in mind for a little while with the, before letting us know what that was. Also, of course, because that's how you do. <laughs> <laughs> he um he gets out of there and uh, tries to resume his his normal life um burdened with the knowledge of the wormening uh yes and but that it's not it's kind of not to be so 
the yeah the the denominator of this is I, I had to carry the image of these two dark figures in my mind. Speaking of Thos and uh, one of the boys that's becoming wormy, um, that he knew from the diner, and uh, the full gravity of the experience descended upon him. Uh, he's claimed illness, so he's had to. He can't go back. He can't go back and teach. He's just been like mind shattered. Yep. Um, He's, uh, I'm now very much under the influence of a season and a climate far colder and more barren than all the winters in human memory, and mentally retracing past events does not seem to have helped. If anything, I now feel myself sinking deeper into a velvety white abyss. At certain times, I could almost dissolve entirely into this inner realm of purity and emptiness, the paradise of the unborn. I remember how I was momentarily overtaken by a feeling I had never known when in disguise. I drifted through the streets of Miracle, untouched by the drunken, noisy forms around me. Untouchable. It was the feeling that I had been liberated from the weight of life. Uh, he does not care for this particular nostalgia. He's trying to, like, rid himself of it. Um, but uh, he, he recalls. Uh, what Thos had given, the order he had given. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it reverberates within his mind, within the, with the psychic chambers of his memory. He is one of us, it said. He has always been one of us. It is this voice which now fills my dreams and my days and my long winter nights. I have seen you, Dr. Thos, through the snow outside my window. Soon I will celebrate alone. That last feast, which will kill your words, only to prove how well I have learned their truth. Um, so I take that take it to mean that he is going to suicide to like not wormanize. Yep. So again, yes, happy endings. Yep. I hope you all enjoyed a landlocked shadow over Innsmouth. <laughs> with clowns with clowns yes with the clowns hmm. and have developed a fine appreciation uh, of the harlequin type yes those mad pierros that dance for not your enjoyment but for their own fool madness oh and 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 just to solidify that that this is is complete and total homage uh after after the last uh sentence of the story uh it is uh uh to the memory of hp lovecraft just in case anyone thought that legati was trying to be clever and and do his was, own thing yes yeah. he he this is explicitly a a riff on the shadow over its mouth and conquer a worm and various other pieces of mm. classic literature it brings to mind also um the uh, layer of the white worm which i yep. need to watch again maybe maybe we'll put that on the docket somewhere <laughs> we've got nothing but time Unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, so I think that that will draw to a close this episode. Um, we will return sometime soon, very soon, I imagine, uh, with the next two tales. Um, 
in Grim Scribe, and that would be the spectacles in the Dark Tower and Flowers of the Abyss. Yes. And probably the last one in Voices of the Damned, which is Nethiscurial, uh, because these are combined about the length of the last Feast of Harlequin. Yes. I am interested to know what the word count for this story versus Shadow over Innsmouth is. Because yeah, this this really was funny. just shy of fifty pages. Okay, so it was it was a lengthy one, but uh, yes, I, I we have a new found appreciation for the clowns. <laughs> yeah, Cl- clown worms, clowns. Yeah, clowns. I, I, I like, you made it I that, like that, that you made it more uncomfortable. That's the reason why I like clerms. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that is a bad, that is a bad word. That is a cursed word that I have now <laughs> inflicted upon all of you. It's, it's there for eternity and it's, it's in, in yep. the indelible blue green ink. All right, folks. We'll do our last little bit of wrap up here. Uh, Leonard, where can folks find you on the interwebs? People can find me online, Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. People can also find me on YouTube by searching Dr. Faust is dead, where I make video essays on uh, video games, uh, mostly based around narrative, journal storytelling, all of that good stuff. And Dave, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me exclusively on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. Uh, yeah, we're all friendly. Come, come say hi. I don't have anything to plug there, but um, our, our, our wayward uh, and the, the co-host we must protect um, from this little gaudy verse uh, you can find Cameron also on Twitter at night underscore twitten, and that's night without a K. Yes. Uh, that is us signing off for this episode. We will see you next time for not Legativerse, uh, something we haven't decided yet, actually, uh, but it's it a will surprise. be there. It's a surprise to everyone, us included. Yeah. But yeah. Bye-bye, folks. Later.